amongst us hasn't had aspirations of grandeur deep into the evening of their college dorm room. We should start a band. We should run our own label. Well, Ken Goodman had these same dreams, and he manifested them into reality by creating Pravda Records and putting out his band The Service's first record on it. Pravda Records has been an independent label ever since, going on year 39 now. They've released acclaimed albums from across the musical landscape, from indie stalwarts like The Slugs to R&B legend Andre Williams. Ken joins us on this month's episode to tell us about how he made his dreams come true, the constant innovation he's needed to stay ahead of the curve and keeping the lights on, and his music journey as a musician, small business owner, and owning his own record label. As always, please feel free to give us a follow on Twitter and Instagram at No Wristbands, and uh, follow us at, on our Facebook page at No Wristbands. We drink for free, and check out our website, NoWristbands.com, and our bi-weekly dig-in content. Thanks, have a great day. Hello, everybody. It is your No Wristbands host, Mark Joyner, joined as always with Papa, and we are here today with Ken Goodman of Pravda Records. How are you doing today, Ken? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for coming on. So, In person. Yes. yes. That's, we prefer it this way. Me too. I'm, I'm, I'm zoomed out. And I just, <laughs> you got that Zoom fatigue. I just can't do it anymore. Um, so let's just get into it. You've, you've had a, a very long, storied career in music in Chicago, so... Uh, talk to us about when you got started. Pravda Records started 39 years ago, if I'm correct. That is correct. Okay. And before that, and during that time, you were in bands. So when did you start playing music? I started playing music when I was five. I, my parents gave me piano lessons because I guess they thought every kid should have piano lessons. <laughs> and uh, uh, it kind of at first, I was like, okay, I'll take piano lessons. And then it kind of stuck. My sisters dropped off. They were taking them too because sure. we all had to take them on Saturdays. With, but for me, I kind of uh, stuck with it and uh, actually liked it. And then my uh, parents in uh, junior high, I, I played drums and then I played piano. And then I, in high school, I uh, my dad sent me to jazz school oh okay. uh, and where's jazz school it, it was in evanston okay. called the alan swain school of jazz wow. and you grew up in skokie right yeah i grew up in skokie but i went to jazz school in evanston <laughs> because evanston's a jazzy place there you go and uh that's where i really learned music is like learning jazz i mean I, you, you know i learned how to read music but then i was like i want to do the jazz because mm-hmm. it was like you just improvise you, you really once you do that, you can fake anything, rock, blues. I mean, <laughs> right. if you learn jazz and, and blues scales, you know, you can fake everything else and pretend like you know it. And I joined the jazz band in high school, and our jazz band went on tour at Niles East. And uh, I was like going to New York and playing. I was going like, to say your band toured high to Niles East? No, but it <laughs> we, we did exchange okay. programs that's, with other jazz so cool. bands. Okay. We would go and play it. High schools all in the East Coast, they would come and play at our school, and we would play at Bulls games. We'd play wow. at Six Flags, and you know, it was like we were a touring jazz band. And I was mm-hmm. like, you know, this is great. Yeah, you know, I, I like this better than than, than playing soccer. <laughs> so <laughs> it kind of grew from there. Then I joined some rock bands and some. Uh, I, I in junior year I joined an Elvis. I ad, answered an ad in the Illinois Entertainer. <laughs> keyboard player wanted for Elvis impersonator, <laughs> and I went and auditioned. All these guys were like fifteen, twenty years older than me. Uh huh. And but they, I got the job, and it was like a, three nights a week. 
while I was 16, uh, cruising around various questionable places. Uh-huh. Uh, but th- at that time, Elvis was he, he just died. It was huge. You mm-hmm. know, Elvis impersonators were huge. And it was like a heavily working band, so I got yeah. exposed to the uh, rigors of the music business. That was probably early. some uh, nice pocket money for yeah. And I was yeah guy. back then, like I was making two hundred twenty dollars a week. I remember wow. Like, wow wow, I'm rich yeah. <laughs> I, I would I would buy keyboards and stereo equipment and records. I started you know going to the records. So yeah. like, I got all this cash. And you know, burning a hole in your pocket. Yeah, I'm, I'm living with my parents. <laughs> so, <laughs> and then you joined a punk band and went backwards. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> are these Elvis impersonators? Are they staying in character? Uh, the Elvis guy was, yeah, was pretty serious. Oh, he that's was, amazing. He was, he looked like Elvis. He, <laughs> but Did you have to refer to him as Elvis. Was, uh, he was a, a Oak Park detective. He was a cop. So he Just like the real gun. Elvis. <laughs> yeah, you know, he was. The real deal. He had a gun in his briefcase, and but he wore jumpsuits, and mm-hmm. we had like fog machines and fire, and it was wow. It was, it was the real. Those were the days. The real yeah, show. it was a show. My my parents loved it. They would come all the time. My dad that, was like a professional photographer. Who so wouldn't was, love it? Yeah, that's, that's he was amazing. taking pictures of this whole mess all, all the time. <laughs> like, I have I have evidence. <laughs> I would love to see it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then during this time, I also I read that you were cutting some corners and pretending to be a Rolling Stone reporter and going to all these shows for free. Yeah. My, at the time, at, at that time I started becoming interested in punk rock and alternative music. I mean, I was doing the Elvis thing and I was enjoying it, but I was like, I, I kind of like rock and roll and punk rock. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to go to the, the Chicago punk clubs to see these bands, but I was like 16, 17. And so, uh, my neighbor, was a graphic designer. So, A, I said, I need a fake ID. I, I want to start going to bars. Well, what did you give them? What was, was it just a cash transaction? No, here? she was just oh, my okay. neighbor. She's like, oh, okay. It's a good neighbor. Yeah, she liked me. And then I said, I also need an ID that says I'm a reporter for the Rolling, for Rolling Stone magazine. She's like, okay. So she designed, like, A, my license, which was, you know, back in the, at that time, it was easy to make a fake license. Mm-hmm. Sure. If you were, we were a good graphic designer, right? So I had a license, you know. Uh, I just got my braces off, and I was like, okay, <laughs> I'm old enough. And, and uh, then she made me this this uh, press card that said, um, "Yeah, I'm a, I'm a reporter for Rolling Stone." I don't know, it, but it started working. Like, <laughs> it's amazing. Surprised, <laughs> I, I would go back to the Aragon and go to the side door. Uh huh. I, I, I guess I didn't give a shit. I was like, okay, I'll give it a try. <laughs> right. I was kind of fearless, which which was all it takes, really. And I'd go to Club COD and Misfits and O'Banions right. and at the time uh, Gaspar Gaspars, which is now mm-hmm. Shubas, and just soak it all in. I was like, oh, this this is the scene I like. Right. You yeah. Know, this is original bands doing, you know, original music that uh, was resonating with me, and I decided that was that was what I wanted to do, <laughs> and. Uh, I did go to college in, in Northern Illinois University after that, even though I got an offer to play with a female Elvis impersonator in Japan. And wow. I, and you I, turned that down. I did. I, I, I had a lot of, towards the end of the Elvis thing, there were a lot of weird experiences that were starting. I was starting to question my allegiance to the Elvis impersonator uh, uh-huh. scene. 
You switched allegiance to Elvis Costello at yeah. this point. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I, you know, I was like, I don't know. Should I go to college or should I go to Japan with uh, Lita Ray, tribute to Elvis? And I was like, my, you know, my parents kind of thought I should go to college. And <laughs> so I did. And uh, turned down the Elvis in Japan. And, oh, what uh, could have been? Yeah, yeah right? You'd probably still be there. <laughs> yeah, anything could have happened after that. So I went to NIU. I was an art major, graphic arts and, and visual communication, double major. And uh, But then I started a punk new wave band immediately with my uh, dorm, my friend in the dorms. We started a band called BB and the Guns. Okay. And uh, we, were, we had a female singer, BB. She was great, and we did about half covers and half original music that we wrote, and we became kind of a thing on campus. Mm-hmm. We played all the all the clubs in town sure. and the frat parties and the porch parties. And, you know, Betsy BB, our singer, was you know really cute and great singer. So we we started working pretty hard, and then we wanted to make some rec. You know, a forty-five. Yeah, that was my first venture into uh, making a record. We went to Rockford and recorded a, a couple songs. I'm like, you know, I got to figure out how to press a record. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so I think that's still a problem for people. You know, yeah, well, the problem, <laughs> Some you know, there was no internet. Around, so I'm yeah. like, where do I press records? Sure. I found a pressing plant, you know, doing research. Uh, Are you and, the driving force of all this? Or like, yeah, you're, it was you're, okay. I, it was a label I, I called it Spaz Records. <laughs> I like there's, it. There's two singles on Spaz Records. Okay. And, uh, we released a 45, and then we did another one, and we got the radio stations to play it. We sold them at the gigs. I mean, it was, you know, a classic mm-hmm. D- DIY yeah. Yeah. thing, but my neighbor designed the sleeve. She's a graphic <laughs> she designer. She keeps coming back. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. And uh, I had them printed up at the printer, and I had the vinyl pressed in St. Louis at a United Record Pressing, and I'm like, okay, I could do this. Why not? <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I, I designed the logo for the label, and uh, uh, we did that. And then uh, after that band morphed into the band The Service, because BB had a scholarship for track, and we uh, wanted to keep the band going. She didn't want to, mm-hmm. we wanted to go on tour. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I can't leave college. Right. We're like, yeah, we're all going to take a year off, and we're going <laughs> to get on the road. It's uh-huh. not Japan, it's this, right? So we bought a van, and we became The Service, and we took a year off of college. I'm, I'm still on that year, <laughs> and we just we're, we're a full-time touring band. Mm-hmm. We made it work. So young bravado, or is this like? Do you think if you could look back on it and change anything, you'd still be like, "Yeah, I'm gonna start my own fucking ra- label. I'm gonna go on tour. I'm gonna do all these things." Or are you just like, well, I didn't exactly, know any better." That's exactly. I mean, I just was ambitious. Mm-hmm. At, at, I was you know 18 years old, mm-hmm. and I'm like, "This is what I want. I want to do this. I want to yeah. you know." See, see the world and play music and record music. We were a good band. We had, you know, uh, really great songs that I, I thought, I thought, and uh, we were all willing to do it. Mm-hmm. Like, we were all, you know, sure. we borrowed money, bought a van, and we said, we're getting in the van. And we're going to see what's out there. So we got a, you know, we just started going to California, going to New York, going to Canada. Are you booking all these shows on your own? At first, but then we got a booking agent. Okay. Mm-hmm. That, uh, took us on and put us on the road and then we decided that band needed a record uh, because and we, you'd outgrown spaz yeah 
Spaz had its day, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we need, we were going to record a, a like a five six song EP, and we did it in Chicago, and then it was a cassette before mm-hmm. the vinyl came out. We put out a, a like a five song cassette, mm-hmm. and called FOMA, and then I needed a a name for the label. Mm-hmm. So we were all, at that time we were all reading Kurt Vonnegut books and love the you know Vaughn. we were on the road. Reading Jack Kerouac, Kurt mm-hmm. Vonnegut, and in one of the books, there's the word Pravda appeared. We didn't really know what it was, but I liked the way it looked. <laughs> and it, it meant unknown truths, and we're like, "That's the name of the label." Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then I got some press type and designed the label poor. I'm the the logo poorly, mm-hmm. and I said, "I like that." And then I just added Pravda Records. It's the same logo we have now. It's amazing. Which is the, the one I designed with old shitty press type <laughs> 1984 yeah and it's like that's what we're using that shit worked yeah yeah and then we made 500 cassettes because we mm-hmm. were touring and then we're like now it's time to, now it's time to make another record and we went in with ian burgess at crc mm-hmm. and then we made the first vinyl pravda record in 1985 called zebu which is a four-song ep that you miraculously found somewhere. <laughs> exactly. Uh, are you shocked that cassettes are back? They're popular again. Not, I'm not shocked okay. about anything. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, I'm shocked. He's been doing it. this for 39 yeah, years. Yeah, He's nothing, seen it all. Nothing's shocking as <laughs> yes. far as anything yeah. in the music business. Yeah. Um, uh, so when did Pravda go from like your outlet to release music on your own, on like the service albums, to I'm going to release records from other people? It was a natural kind of progression because I was meeting bands all over the country, mm-hmm. uh, doing gigs and traveling, and you know it was like a natural networking uh, thing happening because you'd be in a club, you'd be playing with a band in Des Moines or Iowa City or Minneapolis or Oklahoma City, and you like started having a good time with other bands yeah. and mm-hmm. you started watching them, and they saw we had like, so they they're like. You know, they thought we had. A, they thought we were a label. <laughs> so yeah, I'm a label. Uh-huh. They're like, I'll put out your record. You know, I just kind of like, you know, after six beers, I'm putting out everybody's. Sure, record, you know, yep. sure. So it started happening that way, and then we're five uh, away right now. You know, yeah. uh, <laughs> the bands that I really liked, I actually pursued after. You know, after mm-hmm. after I had my, you know, the, the hangover, I was like, yeah, I do want to put that band's <laughs> record out, mm-hmm. and. Uh, you know, pursue that, and I started learning how to do it in distrib- distribution. And you know, fanzines were the main mm-hmm. uh, course of uh, promoting and getting press. So we had, you know, we just I, I got a part-time job at a record distributor called Kaleidoscope. Okay. Okay. Oh yes, yes, yes. Back in the day, I, I think didn't Bruce Adams work there too, right? Yep, he yeah. Did. Mm-hmm. After me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was their first employee right. when they were operating out of a house in Des Plaines. Wow. But, so yeah, I, I learned all the distribution networks. Mm-hmm. It was really helpful. Yeah, that's amazing. At the time, you really had to use multiple distributors to get your stuff into stores. And then I started a mail order company through my P.O. box and uh, just, you know, to put out a band from Iowa and put another band from Des Moines. I was I was going to Iowa a lot for some reason. <laughs> Seems like it. We had a lot of gigs in Davenport, Iowa City, Des Moines, Ames. Yeah. Well, DeKalb's like halfway there yeah. anyway. Yeah, right. so. yeah. 
Yeah. Hop, skip, At and that a jump. point, we moved to Chicago, though. Yeah, yeah, but okay. we did make a lot of connections. And mm-hmm. then we went to Madison, Milwaukee. So I, there was all these bands. Um, then we people started submitting, you know, bands. Uh, started submitting stuff to our P.O. box. So there was a lot of stuff coming across my desk. Mm-hmm. And a lot of, you know, a lot of things, you know, gelling in my mind how I wanted to do this thing. Mm-hmm. That, so I, then I opened a record store. To kind of, you know, I always wanted to do that, and I found a spot on Clark Street and in Metro, and was like, the guy that was running the shop in there was sort of getting kicked out, and I found out about it, and so I went in and talked to Joe Shanahan. Mm-hmm. Said, I want to rent that spot, and I want to put my record store there. He's like, That's a great idea, <laughs> <laughs> and he rented it to me for you know nine hundred dollars a month, mm-hmm. and uh, so I moved the record store in. Uh, set up a record store because I, I had all the connections with distributors mm-hmm. through that job that I had with Kaleidoscope. Sure. So I had all the connections to stock my record store and the record store started funding the label. They work, you know, We had offices on Southport but we had the store on Clark. So, you know, at that time I was 26 years old and I was, uh, you know, Kind of just trying to do it all, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, right. very young and ambitious, like I said. And mm-hmm. so I was like, I want to, you know, I want to do this. I want to do this. And I'm still, I was still touring full time. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of hard to. So I hired a store manager, a record store manager. I hired a label manager, and uh, it kind of grew from there. You know, the store was doing kind of well, so I was able to fund the label. Mm-hmm. And then the label, we started putting out stuff that was actually doing well. We did that compilation in 1989 with the Smashing Pumpkins on it. There's kind of like one of their first songs ever sure. put out. That's amazing. And uh, that sold really well. So we did three volumes of the Tribute to KTEL series. Mm-hmm. And we put out records by Green, The Farmers, The Slugs, mm-hmm. like a lot of the local hot bar bands. Yeah. So I got to ask... Um, Young Billy Corgan, you got to have some stories. Young Billy, yeah, he was working at another record store on Broadway. Okay, I think I can't remember the name of the store, but he was just behind the counter, you know, with his long hair, working the working at the record store, and you know, we decided because he was playing Metro a lot, and we we would go upstairs anytime we wanted to see the bands there every every night. It was mm-hmm. like you know, it was a dream. So yeah, nice right. You know, right Iggy there, Pop guys. would be up there. Like yeah. I'm gonna pop my head in. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, you don't want to miss the that. Cramps. Uh, everybody was coming through. Mm-hmm. You know, and the Pat Pumpkins would open for Jane's Addiction and all this. You know, amazing people would come through, and we would do in stores and record signings. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I was meeting everybody, and so I kind of met Billy, and then I'm. I said, I'm going to go talk to them. I kind of want to put them on. Uh, they had a single out on Limited Potential. I kind of want to have them on this compilation. I, you know, I had Material Issue, mm-hmm, agreed mm-hmm. to do it. I had the Young Fresh Fellow, Shoes, um, oh, Godzaker. You know, all, yeah. a lot of bands were like, yeah, yeah. let's do this. Legendary local bands. Yeah. 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 And I, I put them all in the studio with Phil Bonet at Solid Sound because Phil, Phil agreed to do it. <laughs> We were like, okay, Phil, I'll give you $200 a band and we'll get this done. <laughs> uh-huh. It was all about, you know, staying within our budgets. Yeah. These compilations could be expensive. Sure. So I've always been like, Let's, how can we do this but not like yeah. have to borrow $50,000? Sure. Mm-hmm. Well, Phil Bonet was a friend of mine and he was working all of our records, you know, recording all of our records. 
He said, yeah, get them all in here. So I went to the store and talked to Billy. He's like, yeah, I think, yeah, we want to do Jackie Blue. Like, That's fine. <laughs> That's fine. Let's do it. So they went in the studio with Phil Bonet. Uh-huh. And one afternoon, he recorded Jackie Blue. Wow. Um, just that simple. It was that simple. <laughs> you know, he was, he was just starting out. I mean, I have, I have demo tapes he dropped off to Pravda. That's amazing for this for his first record. Like I, his handwriting you know, uh-huh. is all. Do you have good penmanship? Yeah, uh-huh. it's on his records. He just, you know, oh right, smashing pumpkins. Yeah, his logo. Mm-hmm. So I have these cassette tapes, and James Iha used to come into our office all the time. He was in a, a band called Snake Train. He was trying to get improved with Snake Train, mm-hmm. but then he joined the Smashing Pumpkins. He, you know, so we we knew them, and I knew you know the ba- uh, we knew the bass player. She, her sister worked at Lounge Axe. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, right. whole community. Right. Jimmy right. Chamberlain. He's from DeKalb. Yeah. So it wasn't like you know they right. were these sure untouchable people. He's just, sure. he's just somebody. Right. Do you do have you have you read Bruce's book? Mm-mm. No. Okay. Um, not yet. Uh, you say he, something bad about me? No, 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 not at all, not at all. I was just curious if you had read it, what your perspective on it was. I mean, he's talking about Cranky, obviously, and you're, you're Pravda, you guys are different labels, but yeah. I was just interested in what your perspective was on how he uh, described and characterized and talked about the 90s music scene right. in Chicago. Chicago but, scene. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I should read it. <laughs> it's not bad. It's no, I've heard it was book. really great, yeah. and I've seen him doing you know these uh, book signings. Mm-hmm. But I, I haven't had time uh, to read. You're running a record label. You're a busy guy. Yeah, you know, I got stuff going on. Yeah. Uh, so you talked about how you were doing everything, right? You were still touring full time. You're in a band. You're in multiple bands, right? Uh, you're running the record label. At what point were you like, I need to focus on the label? Or how do you how do you strike that balance? Like, okay, today my energy needs to be focused on this versus the other. Yeah. Thing. Well, in nineteen after about. Five years of the Pravda store being in metro, in the Metro mm-hmm. building, uh, I lost my lease. Shanahan decided he wasn't going to renew my lease. He wanted to open his own own record store, mm-hmm. and so he did, kind of didn't renew the lease. So we ended up moving the store after a brief shutdown on Southport, yeah, next to the Music Box, and uh, reopened it, got it going again, and. I sort of, I, I, I sort of decided I, I, I was I, it was too much. I didn't want to have a retail store. The label was really getting busy, mm-hmm. and so I sold it. Not the name, but I sold the retail side of the business to, to a gal named Jillian, and she turned it into Blackout Records, and it became her record store. Mm-hmm. And I decided to bail bail on the retail side. I I loved doing it for you know. Five six years, it was really fun. Mm-hmm. But it also like we got robbed. There was a lot of things with it. You know, we had a violent robbery. We we had a lot of theft. And it's hard to make. You know, it was it was harder to make money on Southport than it was on Clark sure. Street. Yeah, we didn't have the same thing going on. Sure, mm-hmm. the Metro where right. every night the concert, full house. Yeah, people would come in and we'd be like. Doing business at midnight, you know, <laughs> shooting right. fish in the barrel. And, I'd imagine at a certain. Point. Yeah, and we had in stores. I mean, it was different on Southport, mm-hmm. yeah. and I just, I just wanted to focus on the label. Our, our label offices were a block away, 
uh, on Gra- by Southport and Grace, and I was like, it's time to, you know, start stop spreading myself so thin. Mm-hmm. And uh, that that ended my retail uh, experience <laughs> with with the label. Even though I keep thinking I'm going to do it again, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I'd like to have a store again. You know, record mm-hmm. store owners are weird. They all, they just always want to have a record store. Yeah, right. <laughs> and I kind of do, but I you know I know better right now to restart that. I mean. We have a we do have a mail order business that's mm-hmm. pretty thriving, so that's good enough for now. So I yeah I'd say 1993 I cut back on okay. it and focused really heavily on the label and mm-hmm. our publishing business. Yeah, I was uh, I was really struck in this uh, again. I'm talking about a reader interview. Uh, I was really struck by you really diversified streams of of media and like content and like how you you promoted the bands on your label. It was really impressive to me. Um, is that something that you kind of, and like for the, obviously people may not have read it yet, but it's like, you know, you were doing obviously records, you're doing CDs, you're doing tapes, you're, you're doing MP3s, you're, you're getting the music out there in advertisements and things like that. Like, is that just something that you're like, Hey, let's just try this and see what happens. Like, obviously you saw the benefit in it, but like, how did you, how did you navigate those, like the changing music industry and record owning business out there? That well, makes I, sense. I, I, that makes sense. You know, yeah. I, I kept, I tried to keep up on what was going on, you know, with how, how you can maximize uh, a, a release that you put out instead of just relying on uh, CD sales or record sales or uh, at that time. Yeah. MP3s, you know, iTunes and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I was like, so accidentally, you know, we were started getting requests for, from uh, TV shows. Mm-hmm. Not accidentally, but it just kind of <laughs> like they came to us. Like, we need music. We need a lot of indie indie music for cheap for these shows we're working on. Party of Five, Dawson's Creek, mm-hmm. One Tree Hill. There were all these teen sort of shows. Sure. And they were wanting a lot of music, and they mm-hmm. couldn't afford like the music the on Warner names. Brothers. Yeah, yeah, they couldn't yeah, afford the yeah. music. Yeah. So they they found me, yeah. and they're like, "What do you have?" There's a, there was a guy that was in charge of the music for all these um, shows on the WB and mm-hmm. Fox, and he's like, yeah. "I said, oh, I got tons of music right. like that. Yeah, it will sound like, you know, they were using the Bodines for the intro. They're like, what do you got? Like, I, I, oh, we have the Slugs. We have a group from Texas called Javelin Boot. We've got." Uh, you know, Wake Ulu, this band with Glenn Mercer from the Feelies. Mm-hmm. And they, so they were licensing uh, our songs for, you know, for them was cheap. It was 1000 to $2,000 a song for their, their their shows. And for us, it was like, you know, you, you know, you know how many MP3s you have to sell to make $2,000? <laughs> uh-huh. And we split all the income with the bands, and they were happy. Mm-hmm. And then they would get their publishing money when it shows airs, which sometimes was you know substantial. So when we realized that that was out there, you know, I started going to L.A. every three months. Oh wow! And, and setting up meetings. With mm-hmm. At that time, it wasn't such a crowded field, and they were, you know, they were taking my meetings. I was like going to Warner Brothers. I was going to Paramount lot. I was going to MTV, VH1. I was meeting with the uh, music supervisors that were doing indie films and I was you know I was pretty active doing that mm-hmm. because I when things started flowing in I'm like this is how I can really stay in business yeah <laughs> so 
It's that uh, ambition showing up again, right? Yeah, I was sure. like, this right. is what I got to go after in addition to all the normal uh, routes of running a record label. This was, this was very important to me, mm-hmm. and uh, it's, it was working because we were getting songs placed every, you know, all over the place. And the bands were really happy. Mm-hmm. And then we started working with ad agencies. And we got some beer commercials. We got some uh, commercials for Discover Card. We got commercials for all kinds of things. Right. You know, Volvo. You know, so those were the things that paid our bills for, for you know, they still yeah. do. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> um, we, we, we kind of focused on that pretty heavily because that, and now everyone is, mm-hmm. you know, you it's the competition. Yeah. I was going to say like at that time in the, in the 90s, early 2000s, there's that, that sense of like not wanting to sell out. Did, was it a hard sell to the bands to be like, Hey, they want to. Absolutely not. No, <laughs> okay, absolutely good. Not. good. There was not one. Well, there were, you know, I couldn't license the smashing pumpkins track. There's some issues with that. Sure. <laughs> yeah. right. uh, yes. But all of our original music, the bands were like, yeah, get my music mm-hmm. out there. Right. Sometimes it was like these placements that actually helped sell the records. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. A lot of times it wasn't. It was background music, but a lot of times it was like an end, end credit or an opening mm-hmm. credit or on a commercial that was like uh, prominent music. And the bands were like, everyone everyone knows the song now. Right. You know? Yeah, that's amazing. And, uh, yeah. When they play it live, everybody knows yeah, the words. Yeah, they're like, oh, I heard that song on Party of Five. I heard that song on Dawson's Creek yeah. or I heard that song in that ad. Mm-hmm. So the bands, I didn't have any pushback. Every once in a while, we'd get an offer for to use music in a s- somewhat questionable uh, commercial. Mm-hmm. And I'd always, get, I always would get approval. We don't, we didn't put music in things without approvals. Sure. You know, there was always like, do you want your music used in this? And they're like, well, how much is it? <laughs> and they're like, oh yeah, yes, we do. <laughs> so. Yeah. It, it it you know there was really no issues with our our artists and if there was mm-hmm. there was a few things we've turned we turned down because it was sure icky yeah um, yeah and that's fine too you know, yeah we respect that we're we're all musicians and we know that you know it's your art yeah but it's also you, you want to go on tour you want to buy a van mm-hmm. this is going to be really yeah. helpful for yeah, you right for sure this is going to be very really helpful yeah. for you guys paying your your rent. And they all were like, yeah. And they, a, a lot of the bands that we have worked with, and we took on outside Pravda bands for that too. We had a whole catalog of music that's not on Pravda that we represent for TV and film. Mm-hmm. And those bands are still getting the residuals from mm-hmm. that. It, wow. it, it lasts a long t- sure. time, sometimes forever, if you get it in the right mm-hmm. show when these shows sure. going, you know, go out there. So they're still like really happy that they you know agreed to have their music sure. in these shows because they go to europe and they go now it's on streaming so they're still getting uh royalties from things yeah. they they wrote in yeah. 1987 wow it's amazing and uh it's really you know a good thing obviously a lot of this success is just because you got out there and you hustled um but along the way was there any other people that like this person really helped me make this happen, you know, put me on in a direction that was helpful to the label or whatever. 
Um, you mean in the TV and film business? No, just in general in the label business. You know, I mean, you know, somebody like Joe Shanahan who rented you the space. Right, I mean, right. that that, that was, was great. That was a great thing. Um, was there other people along the way that were like, "Hey, Ken, you know, here's an idea, or I can introduce you, or whatever." Not really. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, there's a there was a lot of people. Yeah. Um, that, yeah. you know, you you interact with and you work with Mm -hmm. and you discover who you want to keep working with sure whether it's a distributor that doesn't you know screw you over Mm -hmm. that you think oh finally you know we so many distributors have went bankrupt on us over the years Mm -hmm. and then you know that that your money's gone your merchandise is gone and that's just the nature of the beast in the 80s and 90s Mm -hmm. so but then we found good distributors. Mm-hmm. And we found good licensors in Europe. Then we found uh, good fanzines that we we you know were writing about our music. Mm-hmm. So the it was a combination of just keep on doing it. Right. You're going to screw up. You're going to make the the wrong uh, business deals, and you're going to make the right business mm-hmm. deals. Mm-hmm. You know, you do it long enough. Not everything's going to work out. Right. <laughs> you know, uh, just want to have a good batting average. You know, right? we we. We did a deal with Columbia House, you know, for a while. And we thought, well, that might be interesting. And it kind of was interesting, <laughs> you know, to have our entire catalog available through the Columbia House uh-huh. Record yeah. Club. Right. So I was like, I kind of like that idea. So I had no problem interacting with uh, corporations that did things mm-hmm. like that made sense for us. Sure. Like, like, I, like I said, I worked with Warner Brothers for TV licensing. I worked with Paramount. I worked with ABC. We worked with MTV all the time. We, mm-hmm. we had licenses with VH1, with the, the CW. So we 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 didn't have anything against partnering mm-hmm. with the man, you know, the the, the, the big corporations. <laughs> sure. Which there were some really great, smart people working there, licensing music. Mm-hmm. Uh, primarily women were were doing the music for these shows. And they were really smart, great people to work with. Just mm-hmm. you know, they have, they were working for uh, major studios right. and major. Uh, you know, we would license songs to compilations on major labels, and I, I found it interesting. Like I was always interested yeah. in how how it works. Mm-hmm. You're the Trojan horse, right? Yeah, I'm like, this is interesting, you know. And they always pay on time. You know, when you work with those companies, <laughs> sure, we like that. When you work with the independent distributors, you're like fighting for your money yeah. mm-hmm. constantly. And, you know, it gets old. Yeah, like, oh, they're just not paying me, you know, yeah. and then they're out of business. They're... So, you know, I'm all about the independent spirit. I've been independent the whole mm-hmm. time. However, we interact with, you know, people we think uh, would make a good partner for a specific mm-hmm. project or mm-hmm. for a specific release or a specific use of a song to further the careers of the bands and and the label uh so talking about the label you guys have put out a very diverse set of music over the years and it's it's constantly evolving uh what is that process like of of receiving music and deciding what you want to put out and how has that evolved over time and and one of the things that probably contributed to 39 years of longevity yeah. is the fact that you didn't pigeonhole yourself to one sort of genre that was popular at a time right, and right. then, you know, lost its appeal and all of that. You mm-hmm. just kept evolving and, 
and and and, and also you you tended to I think focus more on maybe some people that were underappreciated but had some experience as opposed to like new young bands and things like that that didn't know what the hell they were doing. So I mean, fill us a in bit on that also. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's been great because um, I have a wide, wide taste in music. Mm-hmm. I don't like the same music all the time. I kind of have exotic tastes and what I want to listen to. And, you know, it it's boring to me to have one sound and mm-hmm. one, one, one feel and, but that works a lot for a lot of labels. Sure, sure. That, that have the label sound. I didn't really want a label sound. I wanted more of a label dynamic of you know work ethic. Mm-hmm. Like if you put out a record, I, I hope you'll go on tour. I mm-hmm. hope you'll help promote your record by doing that and work with us. You know, you know, have the same work ethic we have. We mm-hmm. work your ass off. And you know, go do gigs, even though if the, even if the gigs suck, just keep doing them. Right. Mm-hmm. So there was that, and then I just had a very wide interest in soul music and indie rock, in experimental music. I mean, we put out five Cheer Accident records. How do you describe that? I don't. You know, <laughs> uh, we put out Andre Williams, who was a soul star in the fifties, mm-hmm. and we put out uh, the Civil Tones, which is like a, you know. A, organ combo from mm-hmm. St. Louis and it would be three combo. We put out the diplomats of solid sound. They were Neo soul band from Iowa city. And they were like one of our biggest sellers. Mm-hmm. And then we put out jangly indie rock from Austin, Texas mm-hmm. and Chicago, all, a lot of Chicago garage bands. And, uh, so it, it's fun for me. Like, I mean, this is a whole new thing. We, you know, we've got a, like a shoegaze band from Dayton, Ohio called the lab partners. They're wonderful. And but so we treat every release as its own thing. Mm-hmm. It's not like it's, it's on the label. It's going to sound like this. It's like yeah. No, this is a, this is on the label. It's its own entity, and every project has a story. Every project is like one of our children. They're different. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, they all have a story. They all have a background. They all they all have their own artistic merits that are way different than the other releases, and we focus in on that. And you know we have a publicist, and like this record is more soul mm-hmm. focus on that. We just put out a record by Ivan Julian. He's a uh, New York punk uh, kind of god. He was in Richard Hell and the Voidoids, mm-hmm. and you know. So you, for that release, we're focusing on the New York punk scene and, sure. and mm-hmm. his legend. And so for each release, it's it's taken as its own thing and promoted as its own thing. And a lot of the bands we put out, they want, they come back and they want us to put another record out. So we kind of, you know, build up a, mm-hmm. a catalog and we know how to promote that specific release to their specific um, people that write about that kind of stuff mm-hmm. and their audience. Well, that's yeah. a great reflection of, of the quality of the work you guys do if people want to work with you again, right? I th- yeah, I think so. Just I mean, stamp of approval. Generally, when we put out a record, a lot of most of the bands say we want to put out another record mm-hmm. because they're generally satisfied. Right. I mean, we're not. You know, we're never fully satisfied. It's still hard to yeah. to really sell records. You know, right. Not, it doesn't happen automatically. Right. 
has uh, there has has there been releases that you were like I just love this I think this is the greatest thing and it didn't do as well as you want and you you know you, you yes like <laughs> you know you, your brain is like what could I have done differently what could how, how why why did this not happen yeah there's a bunch of those <laughs> I mean, I'm like, what the hell happened what uh-huh. was I thinking do I am I the only person that this right is right wonderful? but yeah. You just never know. I mean, you know, we sometimes I think, well, okay, this is going to get discovered in ten years, and that'll sometimes right, happen. Right, yeah. right, that's cool. We've had stuff that, like I said, we put out in the eighties or nineties, and we get it on a TV show that is um, in that time period. There's mm-hmm. a lot of nostalgic time, and the time period shows that are set in the nineties, right. and they use our music because they want authentic nineties music. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, like, what is that song that, that you know, no one ever bought or heard of, and then it's on this show. And then we, like, see these spikes in sales and streams. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Now they're discovering this thing I thought in 1998 yeah. was the greatest song ever. You're like, mm-hmm. I told everybody. Yeah, I, yeah. yeah, I told Right, them. right. <laughs> yes, yes. A lot of songs, you know. So we all have this, like, glamorous idea, like, oh, my God, it would be amazing to run a record label. Yeah. What is a day in the life like for you, and what's the biggest challenge that you, you seemingly face? Oh, God. The day in the life, it's 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 not like one uh, go to the office and sit by the computer for sure. me. Um, I'm involved in a lot of aspects of the activities, and including going in studios and working on the releases and helping produce some of them. Oh, wow. Including, uh, you know, taking out the garbage uh, <laughs> and uh, managing uh, the artist's needs. I mean, we, I, the, the phone rings all day with ideas and requests and problems mm-hmm. <laughs> and delays in vinyl production and, uh, you know, CD manufacturing and... Uh, Music licensing requests, mm-hmm. um, tour promotions. So it's it's never boring. It's it's. I mean, I'm really. I've been lucky. I've been yeah. like, really living the dream. And but <laughs> you do all this with like a skeleton crew, right? So yeah, like, there we, are like four full time employees. Yeah, here. and then we have, like I said, we outsource the uh, the uh, a lot of the um, tasks. Sure, are 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 in done by third-party companies, mm-hmm. which are great because, you know, that's what they're paid to do and they do it. <laughs> right, right. Um, we love that. Yeah, and we have an art director. She does all the art. Is it your neighbor? <laughs> no. no. <laughs> she was she was my fake ID director. <laughs> we moved on from that. Okay. Uh, now right. We have an art director that does all the CD, LP designs, the advertising, the, you know, everything. Mm-hmm. She's great. Sheila Sachs been with the company since day one wow she went to she went to northern with me mm-hmm. we met in a, we were both art majors and then <laughs> she's still uh with proud of 30 39 years and still doing art yeah that's it's, amazing it really is yeah wonderful and then but it's it, there's no one specific day sometimes you know every night not every night but a lot of nights you know i go to the gigs of the bands on the mm-hmm. label or other gigs and uh, try to support them. Sometimes we mm-hmm. do merch, and we'll, mm-hmm. we'll be at the merch booth. You know, sure. And that DIY spirit. Yeah, we, you know, we do everything because 
you know, we're into it. We believe in it. These these bands are our friends sure. usually, <laughs> and yeah. uh, we like them. Yeah, and we want them to be happy, and we want them to be successful. So we we participate, and they appreciate it. And when we sure. show up to gigs, we're like, yeah, we're really glad mm-hmm. you guys are here. And we're like, yeah, we want to be here. You know, um, it's it's great for us to see the bands and go see Nor O'Connor at Space or the Flat Five or. Um, Mirrors, this new band, they're, you know, they're really doing great gigs now. Yeah. And uh, so we we do that at night and in the daytime. It's just, you know, everything from, you know, mail, you know, fulfilling some mail orders to, you know, just talking on the phone with uh, radio people yeah. or uh, trying to convince writers to do interviews with them. <laughs> you know, yeah. It's like, it's just... It's a nonstop barrage. It's a, it's a hustle. Of well, shit. Na- na- nowadays, you know, a lot of the band's income comes from playing those gigs and selling merch at gigs. Of course, um, but the logistics of that have just gotten more and more challenging with trying to coordinate, you know, vinyl releases, oh, yeah, the dates, nightmare. and everything. Like, it doesn't make sense to be doing a tour if you don't have the merch to sell, and right. and and yet you got to book this stuff in advance. So, you know, is that stuff that you guys just have to have to work through, or uh, we work. We've been worked through the whole vinyl delay, uh, mm-hmm. and have a, we have a system now that's like, on this day, your CD is going to come out, and your digital, on, you know, Spotify uh, streaming services will mm-hmm. come out, and on this specific day, your vinyl's coming out. <laughs> so go on tour, take your CDs, take your shirts, mm-hmm. and then two months later, go and tour again, right? Take your vinyl, and we do the pre-orders, uh, and. That's how we had to do it because we didn't want to delay certain releases right. for six months. Yeah. The bands, they were ready to go. Right. Sure. Right. And we're like, everything's ready to go except your vinyl. Yeah. So just go and we'll do we'll yeah a lot of a lot of the work for that record had been done like a year ago i mean they're moving on from that even at that point and haven't even had the chance to tour on it right so we're saying just go when your vinyl comes out it's something to Mm re-promote you know so we do a lot of stuff on colored vinyl you know just do stuff that gets people excited again when the vinyl arrives and we're all excited when the vinyl arrives we all prefer vinyl uh but it was a real problem. It still yeah. is. It's getting yeah. a little better, mm-hmm. um, but not much. It's still you. You can get a CD, you know, done in three weeks. Yeah, that's amazing. Everything, <laughs> you know, yeah, it's so great. And people still buy CDs. It's you know, buy, CDs yeah. are not dead. It, no, it, yeah, I, I, I read think that. There's a comeback. Yeah, I read that mm-hmm. the youngins are whatever that it nowadays. Means. Um, but our band sell a lot of CDs on the road. Mm-hmm. We sell mm-hmm. a lot of gigs, and Record stores are coming around. They, for a while, they completely stopped carrying mm-hmm. the CDs. Kind of pissed me off. Like, come on, do both. Yeah. yeah. But they don't. A lot of stores are just vinyl. So <clears throat> when we get the vinyl, they get the vinyl. Mm-hmm. Um, and But yeah, it's a challenge because ideally, if you're running a record company, you want the vinyl, the CD... And the the streaming to come out on the same day. Sure. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah that, makes sense. That, that would be fun. But, um, <laughs> Never happens anymore. It used to happen. Yeah. You know, we'd be yeah. like, and then we get cassettes, and everything, everything yeah. would be coming out, and everything would be in the store on the same day. 
Yeah. But well, even now, like, you know, the band puts out one, one single for streaming and then, you know, three, four weeks later, the second one mm-hmm. and then the third one. And then mm-hmm. finally the, you know, this, the, the full the albums on streaming and yeah. so on. Um, so yeah, it's a whole new method. Yeah, you know, exactly. People's attention spans are very short. Mm-hmm. They don't want to hear a whole album, uh, at first, mm-hmm. you know, sure. let, let's hear a single. Maybe, yeah. maybe I'll right. listen to that whole song. Now, do you <laughs> do you see that that process? Like, I mean, if somebody puts out a good first single, does that really help the rest of the of the the well, sequence? Yeah. Um, or or you know, does it do, does it fall off at some point? And like, oh, people lost interest by the time the record came out. Mm, not really, if you okay. promote it right and. Mm-hmm. You know, it also involves videos, making videos, mm-hmm. getting video right. premieres, sure, getting sure. your yeah. videos out there with the streaming um, and timing it and getting people excited about premiering a song or video and getting the next video and song out. I mean, there's a whole, mm-hmm. there's a whole process an ecosystem. Of, of, that builds up to actually having a physical product, CD or yep. LP or both. That involves yeah, the digital singles and the video, and yeah. getting getting the excitement built up, so people actually buy the record sure. when it comes out. Well, speaking of excitement building up, yeah, we're talking <laughs> next about next year, the fortieth anniversary. Yeah, what's uh, anything we got, special? We got on things that? in the works here. Well, we're going to be bringing back Prob to Fest. Nice, Prob to Forty. Excellent. Our our, our Prob to 40 beer, our Prob mm-hmm. to Fest. Nice. We'll uh, return. Um, so that's exciting. Yeah. We did Prob to 38, and it was super fun. Mm-hmm. Were you guys there? Uh, no. Sadly, it was not. Yes. Uh, it was great. <laughs> yeah. I heard great things. It yes, was really yeah, great. absolutely. Um, and we just did that because we thought possibly the world was going to end. <laughs> and we don't know. You yeah, know, you can't wait. We don't know. Right. Why? Why not? Why? Why wait two more years when that? You know, mm-hmm. it, it, we exactly. don't know. It yeah. was a very strange time. Yeah. It still is. But we decided I'm doing it now. Yeah, we've been here long enough. Let's have a goddamn festival. <laughs> yeah. Um, and well, once we hit forty, I'm. I mean, I'm thinking like should be every year after that. Yeah. Right? Well, we, you know, it's a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, it, yeah. It, it seemed a, to have a lot of free time. It was yeah. a big. It was a big production. Yeah. yeah. Just coordinating. Right. It. Thankfully. Sure. We got wonderful uh, volunteers to work and do a lot of great, mm-hmm. great things. It was in that uh, jazz enclave, right, Evanston? It was in Skokie. <laughs> oh, it was in Skokie. Right. Okay. At yeah. the uh, Sketchbook. Sketchbook. Yeah. I thought Sketchbook They was do in, have one in Evanston, Evanston. but okay. we had the festival at their Skokie mm-hmm. location where we set up the, on their loading dock. Oh, wow. Full stage production. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Perfect. Like, yeah. It was it's a real fest. Like, it's the, you'd be surprised how good of a loading dock turns mm-hmm. into a, you know, a rock and roll stage. Yeah, yeah. And sounded great, and you know, looked great. And we yeah. Had food trucks. We had our beer. Our, you know, it was really great vibe. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're gonna shift gears now. We're gonna ask you some Chicago specific questions. So, uh, feel free to extol your answer or elaborate as much as you want or it can just be one word and we move on to the next one so the first question is everyone in chicago loves pizza and there's varying styles right there's the tavern thin crust and then there's you know, your deep so are you more a, a thick or thin crust pizza fan 
I'm primarily thin. Okay. Uh, tavern style. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I do dabble with a piece of uh, thick Lou Malnati's sure. primarily or yeah. parts. But where's yeah, your th- your thin location? You don't have to divulge if you don't want people. Bothering <laughs> uh, I used to like Marie's on Lawrence. Yeah. However, they're never open anymore. Yeah. Um, We've had people asking us if that yeah, place is open. I don't know what happened. They just they open once a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> Villa Napoli. In uh, uh, Harwood Heights, mm-hmm. terrific. Then uh, our sponsor of Pravda Fest, the Village Inn in Skokie, was quite quite great. That's the uh, spot. They were uh, the official sponsor mm-hmm. of the backstage at Pravda Fest. Oh, nice. Provided all these wonderful thin crust pizzas to <laughs> all the bands, and it's a legendary place in Skokie. Yeah, in, mm-hmm. in downtown Skokie. How to check it out? Yeah, uh, you can. Here, yeah, you, you should go there. It's a it's a it's a bar with great pizza. Nice, but I, you know I like Lou Malnati's thin, mm-hmm. pretty much. I yeah, like the corn crust. Harwood Heights, that's like by uh, Superdog, right? No, that's Norwood Park. Oh, that's, I'm sorry, that's where I live. Okay, um, okay, but Harwood Heights is more uh, west near Harlem. And okay, like Lawrence. Okay, all right, my mistake. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what is your favorite, this is going to be a two-parter. Yeah. So, uh, you've obviously played shows all over Chicago. What is your favorite place to play, venue to play? And what is your favorite venue to see a show at? Hmm. I guess it, it, that kind of depends on what kind of show, but I love, I love playing Fitzgerald's. I love going to Fitzgerald's. It's mm-hmm. a friendly, beautiful vibe there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the hideout. I love Tim and Katie. I love their their club. Mm-hmm. Playing there is great. Seeing a show there is is great. Yeah, great uh, warm room. Yeah, I mean, I was just at Metro last week. It's still like magical place. Right. To see, I was at the Lynn Bramer tribute. Oh, nice. And it was, you know, wonderful. Mm-hmm. So new, you know, I always know people there, and right. it brings back a lot of great memories of seeing a show there every night. Well, I had the record <laughs> store. I mean, it's still you and Adam like, Jacobs. It's right? still a, like. What really fantastic to see a band on that stage. Yeah. And I like Talia Hall. Mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of great shows at Talia Hall. That's a cool space. Certain certain shows. I love space. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really a pro place to play. And mm-hmm. The backstage is one of the best backstages <laughs> anywhere. Uh, so there's, I mean, there's so many great. I, I go to yeah. jazz clubs. I go to Winters. Yep. I go to, um, you know, Joe Siegel's Jazz Club. I go to Green Mill. I love mm-hmm. the Green Mill, and uh, it's all yeah. There's there's so many great. Right. I mean, the empty bottles magical on some yeah. nights. Right, um, absolutely. Yeah, like you said, it depends what you're going to right. see. Yeah, right, so. right. <laughs> like you know, like I said, I I see all kinds of music, mm-hmm. and you know, there. Luckily, if you want to see blues, there's there's some good blues clubs. Yeah. If you want to see uh, jazz, there's there's a bunch of good jazz clubs. Mm-hmm. Green Mill's legendary. Mm-hmm. And then rock, you know, rock or you know, even the Montrose Saloon on some nights is yeah, is love just Montrose. Really Same. fun, you yeah. Know, it's like the old school. That's a great, spot. you know, grimy bar to see yeah. a band. Right. Right. I love a good grimy bar. Right. <laughs> Me too. I mean, I I play Simon's every month, and that's, oh, that's yeah. like love a, a magical too. Yeah. place too on occasion. Cash only, cash only. Yeah. Uh, so you've obviously stuck around. You know, you made it as far as DeKalb, and you came back. Uh, what so you must love Chicago. What makes Chicago a unique music town scene environment to you? To me, it's just you know endless 
great musicians mm-hmm. um, of all ages. Like these young bands mm-hmm. that I'm seeing now, really, you know, they're fantastic. Yeah. That are playing the Empty Bottle and playing Shubas and yeah. playing Lincoln Hall. Uh, I like seeing the young band. I, I was trying to get the, uh, Neptune's Core. I was yeah. Wow, I love that I band. Think they're fantastic. Yeah, they're, they're really like fourteen. Um, yeah, it's humbling. You know, yeah. <laughs> they met with their parents. It was you know. But anyway, uh, but there's a wonderful jazz scene here mm-hmm. of you know players that are unbelievable, and like any night of the week, you can find. Uh, stuff on the north side, the south side, mm-hmm. you know, downtown, or I mean, you know, and all the neighborhoods in Chicago. Yeah. That's what I love about Chicago. Yeah. The diversity, uh, ethnic diversity, there's international music mm-hmm. here, there's international festivals, um, there's Millennium Park concerts, there's uh, uh, fair, you know, the street fairs, mm-hmm. uh, right. Summer's Fest, uh, you know, they have the big ones, Pitchfork. Uh, we used to do sell our you know have a record stall there mm-hmm. uh, Lollapalooza if you're in the mood um, <laughs> yeah. I don't think I'm ever in that mood yeah I, I got I got out of that mood but I was I went for a long time I go to I go to Pitchfork and then there's you know um, the one in September Riot Fest yeah mm-hmm. is generally a really good time yeah mm-hmm. uh, right so what, what I can say about Chicago is never a dull moment and you know you can't see it all yeah, <laughs> because it's so much right all the yes. time. In addition to great movie theaters, uh, pick you know the Music Box, Pickwick, uh, great you know restaurants everywhere yeah. you turn. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, you went through that whole list of great clubs, um, yeah. and 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 Chicago is just spoiled for great clubs, and and they're all owned by for the most part by independent people who love music, and those people have to book bands. Pretty much every night. So I mean, that just there are so many opportunities for bands. There, you know, there there are so many people that care about booking good music that yeah. mm-hmm. it just fosters it's, a great you scene. Can, you can have a career in music in Chicago. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was my main goal. I don't want to. I don't want to have to get an, another job. Sure. You know, a day job. <laughs> I mean, I want to do music. Yeah. And I, you know, you just got to figure it out. Um, I. There is a lot of things you can do mm-hmm. um, in Chicago in music, if you know if, if that's what you want to do. Right. Some people, you know, they give up and they they, they right. don't want to do that after a right. while. But <laughs> right. I have I, I know a lot of you're people. not a quitter. That's yeah, why you've no. been here for thirty nine <laughs> yeah. years. Yeah, just, <laughs> yeah, either that or I'm an idiot. It's too late to do anything else. Uh-huh. But a lot of my friends, you know. They're working musicians. They're, yeah, right. they're working three, four nights. There's a lot of gigs. Mm-hmm. You, you know, if you can get know the right avenues right. to get them. Yeah. There's a ton of gigs that people are playing it every night. Yeah. Yeah. It's and amazing. And you can teach. You can, you know, right. write music for advertising. You can, you know, do a lot of things. Yeah. Love that answer. Uh, so, cut two more questions and we're, we'll let you go. Uh we we've been drinking some Modellas right now, so we are clearly fans of cheap drinks. Yeah. Uh, what is your delicious? Yeah, it is. Uh, <laughs> what is your go-to uh, cheap drink if you're like out at a show? Like for me, it would be PBR or like High Life, and then I'll work my way down. Mm-hmm. I, I like Miller High Life. 
I'm mm-hmm. a big fan of the small bottles. Yeah, the yeah. ponies. Yeah, the ponies. Nice. Yeah, because they stay cold. You're done. Yeah, yeah. And you feel right. like you're not drinking that much. Yeah, <laughs> this is nice. You the the worst thing that and and mostly you get this like at the corporate bars, but the worst thing is those like 24 ounce cans. Big old tall boy. I hate that. I don't drink fast enough. You see right. I'm, yeah. I'm slow. Yes. And I actually don't drink. My go-to drink is not beer. I'm a little more serious. Okay. okay. Yeah. I drink gin. That's a, that could be a cheap drink, depending if you go yeah. well, right? <laughs> it can be. I, I, drink, I drink gin. I, I drink vodka. Mm-hmm. If, I'm, if I'm, I don't feel like drinking, really, I'll drink vodka. Okay. It's, just kind of, it's not really drinking. It's just like, hey, give me a vodka soda. I'm not drinking tonight. Uh-huh. So that, that is a go-to drink because I just, I just can't drink a lot of beer. Right. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so last question, and I feel like we know the answer to this. Are you a Chicago lifer? Seems like you are. You're not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. Okay, I love my, it. My 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 world is here. My mm-hmm. you know my my music, my friends, my uh, house, my uh, my love of the city. Mm-hmm. No matter how crazy it gets, it, I still love Chicago. Yeah, same. And I'm a I'm a lifer. Yes, hell I've yeah. Lived in the same house for 30 years now. Amazing. And. Uh, I know the city really well. Yeah, I know what I know what I like, and I like a lot. Uh, <laughs> it's a good thing. It's a, yeah, it's never ending here. It's not like you're not like you you always figure it out. It's like surprising you when when you have uh, friends come in from out of town. Like what what are you like? This yeah. is what you got to do. This you know this is Where Chicago. You take them. Yeah, yeah. Well, it depends on who these friends are. Okay, <laughs> but there's three things I like to do. I like to go downtown, take the water taxi to mm-hmm. Chinatown. Uh huh. Eat in Chinatown, take the water taxi back. You know, go to go to you know, downtown could be cool, but there's yeah. there's everything else. Right. There's you know, and then there's the lake. There's the river. I mean, the river is amazing at yeah. night on a mm-hmm. nice night. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's the neighborhoods like. I, I had friends in yesterday. We went to Wicker Park and walked around, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Milwaukee and Damon, and they they loved it. You know, we found great coffee. Yeah. We found yeah, great. It was a beautiful day, and it was. I, I also I drive to the sub. Like, like I take drives to the suburbs. The suburbs are very interesting to me, and I've always, you know, I like exploring the suburbs. Mm-hmm. Sure. For various reasons, mm-hmm. if my I'm wife not, and I like to call that a food venture. Be like, <laughs> I heard about this great place. Let's go drive that. an hour There's to like, go oh, do there's that. There's a great Indian restaurant yeah. in Naperville. Yeah, we're going away. We go. So every once in a while, like I'm like, all right, um, get in the car. We're driving to Antioch. Uh, <laughs> I know of a supper club. Right? Yeah, the edge of Antioch. Right. Yeah, that's the but spot. The suburbs are very interesting and worth dabbling. With. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's certain city people like hate the suburbs. Like, <laughs> no, the suburbs are interesting. Sure, some of them are very interesting, and uh, there's there's great, you know, even Arlington Heights has a great music club. Hey, mm-hmm. Nani, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that you know has good bookings. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, where can we learn more about Pravda? You guys are, are on social media. What's your website, Pravda? Pravdamusic.com. No, Music.com. Okay. Yeah, we're everywhere. Facebook. Instagram, um, Bandcamp, mm-hmm. uh, you name it. This is going up October 1st. Uh, what is the next thing we can expect from Pravda Records? Okay, October's a big month. We're releasing a the full-length album from Nathan Graham. Okay. He's, he's a Chicagoan, lifer. Love that. Um, he's a soulful singer-songwriter. Okay. The great band, and he's... 
His video's already been accepted from CMT. <laughs> he, he's not really country, but it has leanings towards some country soul uh-huh. roots music. Okay. So he's kind of a crossover artist, but he's the real deal. And it's that's that's coming out October 20th. And uh, his next single comes out Thursday, uh, August yeah. 31st. Okay, yeah. let's do and it. video. And... Uh, after that, we're kind of done for the year. Okay. We're coasting with all of our releases we put <laughs> sure. out. Not mm-hmm. coasting, but we're yeah. working it. Yeah, sure. And we, we don't like to take on more than we can handle. We've had a big year, so we mm-hmm. were just like, we're working these records the rest of the year, and next year we start fresh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we got a lot of ideas and a lot of plans, you know, for Prov to 40. Yeah. Yeah. So Can't wait. But, yeah, October's going to be fun, and uh, we'll put up Nathan Graham's Saint of Sec... Saint of Second Chances. Okay. Well, awesome. I look forward to checking it out. Uh, yeah. Ken, thank you so much for your time. This has been mm-hmm. great. Yeah, thanks. It was fun. Yeah. Thanks for having yeah. me. Yeah. Take Absolutely. care. Thanks so much for listening today. We are No Wristbands. We drink for free. Music, of course, has been provided by Merlin Wall. Please check them out on Spotify or on Bandcamp. Please also subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And give us a follow on Instagram and Twitter at No Wristbands and check out our website at NoWristbands.com. 